Well, good morning, everybody. Man, good to see you. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of sensing the presence of God in the room this morning. You feel God in the place? I appreciate our worship team and the job they do every week, but I appreciate the fact that as they're ministering, it just seems like God just reveals himself to us and lets us know that he's near and that he's listening. And uh, So I'm just a little bit ripped. Is that okay? I'm going to kind of get struggled and I'll get, get, get off the ground here, but... Uh, I got a thought I'm going to share with you today that I think is going to bless you. It sure has blessed me. Uh, this morning I want to continue a sermon series that I started way back on Memorial Day weekend. On May the 27th, I started a sermon series that revolves around the life of a man named David. Why David? Well, more is said about David than any other human being that's mentioned in the Bible, which kind of led me to believe that God must really want us to know this man. So over six months ago, we started getting to know him. Now, it's been a month since I preached a sermon from this series, and so I'm going to ask you to be patient with me and give me about five minutes, okay, to review what we've learned thus far, just as a way of everybody getting back on the same page. Are you good with that? Doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway, okay? <laughs> David was the youngest of eight sons born to a man named Jesse. And God chose him to be Israel's second king. I want you to notice how I said that. God chose, God chose him. He didn't run for office. No committee nominated him. God chose David to be Israel's second king. You see, he was in the process of removing Israel's current king, a guy named Saul. And he was going to replace him with David. Now, there came a time when God sent a prophet named Samuel to meet with Jesse and his sons. And in the meeting, God identified David and said, he's the one. He's the one. He's going to be the next king. For a long time, just the ten men in the room knew about this. And uh, nobody else would have ever looked at David and suspected that he was going to be the next king or a king at any point in his life. I guess you could say with just, when you looked at him from the outside looking in, there was just nothing kingly about David. He didn't exude any kind of a royal essence. He was kind of a loner. He spent a lot of time out in the field, uh, tending, watching over his father's flocks, writing poetry, writing songs. And if he wasn't writing songs, he was playing songs on his harp. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, guys, if I didn't mean to offend anybody here with that laughter about playing the harp. I don't know why it struck me funny. I, if that's your hobby, more power to you. I wish you all the best with it. 
David was so unassuming. I, I think after choosing David and making sure David understood you're going to be the king, God's next move had to be somehow or another, I've got to make it obvious to an entire nation that I've picked this guy. So how would God do that? Well, he lined up a fight between a 17-year-old David and a giant named Goliath. God set that up. And then, in front of the entire Israelite army, he enabled David to kill the giant with a slingshot. Now, as you can imagine, uh, that people everywhere began to tell that story. It spread like wildfire. I guess you could say it went viral. Uh, by the time uh, D- David and the Israelite army got back to town, people had already written songs about it. And the people everywhere were singing about David's victory. I mean, they were tapping their foot, humming, singing the words. They, David was an overnight YouTube sensation, I imagine. King Saul was so impressed with him that he actually gave him a job, put him on his staff. He made him the, I didn't even know there was such a thing, but he made him a staff harpist. So, you know, he became the staff harpist. And then, in time... Uh, Boy, that kind of exploded under the handkerchief there, didn't it? But uh, in time, he became Saul's armor bearer. And Saul was still so impressed, he gave him a position of leadership in his army. And as a leader in the army, he was never defeated. And God gave him success. And so eventually, David worked his way up, and he became the leader of the entire army. In time, everybody knew who David was. God had taken him from obscurity now to fame and celebrity status. Everybody not only knew him, they they loved him. He was wildly popular. Well, in time, people began to look at David and kind of the way his life was going, and they put two and two together and knew this this is a young man of destiny. Something's going on here, and... A couple of guys figured out he's supposed to be the next king. And one of the guys that figured it out was Saul, the reigning king. And how did he respond? He was jealous and motivated by jealousy. He tried multiple times to murder David. He failed every time. And, you know, being a king, he had a whole army at his beck and call. So he enlisted the army in an effort to kill David. And David finally figured this out. The only way I'm ever going to survive is I've got to run for my life. And so he ran and he ran and he ran some more. For the next 13 years of his life, Adam, he was constantly running from Saul and the army of Israel. Did you hear that? 13 years. He lived in the woods, slept on the ground, slept in caves, sacrificed everything just in the hope of surviving. 13 years after being on the run, Saul is killed in a battle with the Philistines. You know what they meant to David? No more running. He could go home. He can go home. And go home he did. And when he got home, he was crowned king of a portion of Israel. And then seven years later, God made, as just as God had promised, he made David king of all Israel. And that's where we've come. It's about the halfway point of David's story. And as we've gotten to know David better, we've learned a lot of practical lessons from his life. And some of those lessons were very encouraging because I went back and listened to the whole series and I'm like, man, this has been so encouraging. But some of those lessons were very challenging as well. In the last sermon, I shared a theological lesson, or in other words, a lesson about God, and we learned this. We can't always understand God, but 
we can always trust God. And this morning, I want to share another one of those theological lessons. Uh, There's something else I feel like we need to recognize about God. And here's the lesson. You ready for it? Good. Some of you just talk like, yeah, how about getting on with it here? So uh, here's the lesson. God knows that we're only human. And he is still crazy about us. Will you let that sink in for just a minute? God knows that we're only human. And he is still crazy about us. You say, where did you see that and exactly what does that mean? Okay, let me explain. As I've gotten to know David better, there's something about him that I couldn't help but notice. David was only human. All my life, I've looked up to David as though he was a superhero. Well, I have to admit that during this study, I have asked David to step down off the pedestal that I had placed him on. I'm no longer looking up to David. As a matter of fact, I kind of feel like now I'm looking David eye to eye. Because, see, we share something in common. We're both only human. You say, Ronnie, where did you see David's humanness in, this, in these stories that we looked at? Well, I think it first showed up for me in 1 Samuel chapter 20. David's faith waned. His faith in God waned to the point that he came to a place that he didn't believe what God had told him. He didn't believe it anymore. He didn't believe God was truthful with him. When that happened, David's courage turned to fear. David, the great giant slayer and warrior, was afraid. Man, at that point, David looked a lot like us. He looked human. Then in chapter 21, it's kind of like this eruption of David's humanity. He lied to a preacher in order to stay out of trouble. Now, that sounds kind of like a human act. And then in order to get what he wanted, he put his wants ahead of the needs of an entire community of people, and he let them pay the ultimate price. This is how selfish he acted, so that he could get what he wanted. He let them lose their life, all of them, but one, so that he could keep his life. You know, that was just the tip of the iceberg. There were a lot more manifestations in these stories of David's humanity. There were other occasions where David, it wasn't just like a slip one day. Ooh, I told a little while. No, no, no. There were other occasions where David would just lie to people. One time David flew mad and was going to kill an entire family because one of the family members had treated him like a jerk. Do what? He was going to kill them all. Because a member of the family had treated him like a jerk. David started taking to himself multiple wives and even created a harem of women on the side. Knowing all along, this is wrong. This is the wrong thing to do. Hey, listen to me. Some of you are looking in a state of shock like, don't you talk about David like this. Huh? David, little David in a slingshot, and you're afraid, hey, it's all in these stories we've been looking at. 
There are stories I read where it appeared that David and his men killed people, entire towns full of people, just so they could have what these people used to have. You say, you're kidding me. No, you, we, were you here? They did it. At one point, 600 men and their families were on the brink of losing everything because David acted irresponsibly and excluded God from a critical decision. Man, he sounds very human, doesn't he? Sounds like one of us. David was only human. And God knew that. When you think God realized that David was human, I mean, do you think when, when he tells this first lie, when he goes to Ahimelech and he goes, and Ahimelech says, what are you doing, man? And he goes, I'm on a top secret mission for King Saul, which was a bold fight. You think God in heaven went, <gasps> do you think he turned to the angel and said, oh, no, oh, no, I have chosen a human to be the next king. What are we going to do now? You think it caught him off guard? No. God knew that David was human before he chose him to be the second king of Israel. Do you listen to me? Do you, you hear what I'm saying? God knew that David was only human before he chose him to be Israel's second king. He knew this. He knew there'd be times when David's faith would come and go. He knew that there would be occasions where David would lie. He knew it. He knew that there would be times when David acted very selfishly. He knew there would be periods of time where David would just completely ignore him. Just leave him right out of the equation. He knew about David's insatiable appetite for women. He knew it. God knew that David was only human, a seriously flawed human. And yet he chose him anyway. Does that make any sense to you? Does that make any logic to you? Does, I mean, is that, you know, to me, I don't, I don't get that, really. I don't understand that. So God, you knew he would lie. You knew he would do this. You knew he, and, and you still picked him? Yeah, he did. God knew every rotten thing David would ever do, and he still chose him. He still opened great doors of opportunity for him. He still provided for him, protected him, guided him, blessed him, and used him in incredible ways. Now listen to me. Because this story is not just about David. This story is about you. You know what that tells me about God? God knew that David was only human. And he was still crazy about him. Okay, Ronnie, what do you mean by that? I think you already know, but I, it's really defined for us in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 3. We're told, the prophet Isaiah said, God loved David. But it tells us how God loved David. Isaiah 55, 3 tells us that God loved David with an unfailing love. You know what that means? God loved David in spite of the fact that he was human. In spite of the fact that he was seriously flawed. Loved him anyway. It means that there was absolutely nothing David could ever do to make God stop loving him. Couldn't do it. David doubted God. God still loved him. David lied. God still loved him. Sometimes 
David openly defied God. And Brian, you're not going to believe this. God still loved him. There were periods where David failed to consult God. God still loved him. God loved David with an unfailing love. Now here's what I need to ask you. Do you understand that God loves you with the same kind of love? Say what, Ronnie? Do you understand that God loves you with an unfailing love? There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Nothing. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Ronnie, that just sounds too good to be true. But it is true. You say, how do you know? Let's read some verses together. They're found in the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 35 through 39. You ready? And these, these words are written by the Apostle Paul. He starts off with a bold question. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? You see that question? You know what that means? Paul is asking the question, can we do anything that would make God stop loving us? That's the question he's throwing out on the table. Look what he says. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And then there's a parenthetical thought because he's trying to explain what he means by death. He said, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Now he goes back to the original question. Can anything ever cause God to stop loving us? Look at what he said. What's the word on the screen? No. No, he says. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that. Thank you. We're, I, what do we got here? 180 people? Are y'all with me? Because I'm sharing one, with you one of the most fascinating, unbelievable truths in all of the Bible. And it's about you. And it's about your God. And the truth is, he loves you with an unfailing love, even though you're human. He's still crazy about you. I would have thought you would have been a little more excited about this. Paul said, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be, ever, be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves you. He always has and he always will. There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. That's what I want you to know. Now, here's what I want you to do. Number one, believe it. Some of you are having a hard time believing. God is crazy about you. I know, it's pretty unbelievable. You know why? You know you. Just like I know me. We understand the depths of our 
humanness. We look over our shoulder. We see the mistakes we've made. The bad decisions we made. Hey, we see the sins we committed. We recognize how often we've excluded God from our thoughts, decisions, and plans. We know that we're prone to place greater value on anything and everything uh, other than God. We can still hear all the vile things we've ever said, the lies we've told, and the gossip we've shared. We're well aware of the times that we put ourselves first at great expense to those in our world. We know that we're only human. We understand that we are deeply flawed. We have seen our humanness on display in the past, and here's what we all know about ourselves. Give us just a little more time, and we'll all see our humanness on display again somewhere out there in the future. That's what makes this so unbelievable. We all know what we really are. So does God. He knows that you're flawed. He knows that you're weak. He knows that you'll never be perfect in this life. He knows all the sins that you have committed. He knows the sins you'll commit before the sun goes down today. He knows all the sins you'll commit Thanksgiving week. 2008. He already knows them. When God created you, chose you, sent his son to die for you, sought you out, forgave you, and reconciled with you, he already knew what he was getting. He knew that you were only human, predisposed to sin, damaged, broken, and in dire need of repair. He knew everything about you, and yet he chose you anyway. That's grace. That's mercy. That's love. Nothing, God, nothing can cause God to love us, to stop loving us. He, better than anyone, knows just how human we are, and yet he's still crazy about us. That's the truth, and man, it's time to believe that. Number two, I want to encourage you to rest in it. Stop trying to earn God's love. I'm giving some of you permission to get off the religious treadmill. You do a lot, and you are one tired person. And if you were to really kind of peel the onion back and and try to find the root of why you do so much... You know what it is? You're hoping that one day that you have done enough, that you have earned the love of God. Well, I'm giving you permission to get off that treadmill. Stop trying to live your life in such a way that you feel you finally deserve to be loved by God. Quit it. Stop trying to do enough that you keep God's love. He already loves you. He already loves you with an unconditional, immeasurable, eternal love, period. So stop trying to measure up and just relax. 
Give up on the idea that you've got to be perfect for God to love you. I want you to give up on the idea that you've got to be perfect for God to bless you. I want you to give up on the idea that you've got to be perfect for God to ever use you. If perfection is the standard, I'm telling you, we're all in big trouble. Are your kids perfect? Now, I'm going to have to answer that for you. No. Huh? No. Are you crazy about your kids? I can answer that too. Yes. Our kids don't have to be perfect for us to love them. God's kids don't have to be perfect for him to love them either. I guess I've got bad news and good news. Here's the bad news. You're never going to be perfect in this life. Here's the good news. You'll always be loved. You'll never be perfect in this life, but you'll always be loved and loved by God. That's the truth. I want you to rest in it. Number three, third thing I want you to do, I want you to reciprocate it. Do you know what God wants from you? You know what some of you believed before you came in here today? Perfection. He wants perfection from me. I know this is kind of a tricky thing, but here's the deal. If that's your goal, you're going to live in constant frustration. Constant frustration. You know why? You're not perfect now. And you're never going to be perfect in this life. It's an unattainable goal. You know why? You're only. And all humans are flawed. Deeply flawed. You are. And here we are living in this sin-cursed world. You know, the devil's got a kingdom of darkness. All these demons. The world glorifies and advertises and rewards sin. And here you are, you're, you're only human. You're predisposed to sin. And somehow or another you think you're going to make it to a point in this life where you are perfect and you can maintain perfection. You say, that's what God wants from me. i got to tell you, that's not it because He knows you can't attain that in this life. You know what He wants? He wants you to love Him. That's what He wants. God loves you and he wants you to love him too. That's it. God is crazy about you and he wants you to be crazy about him. You know, Jesus was once asked, what's the, is there a greatest commandment? Is there a, is there a you know, a, if, if God wants something from us, what does he want more than anything? Jesus replied quickly, he wants you to love him. That's what he wants. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God loves us and he wants us to love him too. Now, we got a problem. Religious people who hear this sermon, they're going to freak out. I'm telling you right now, some of you got that freaking out look on your face. And I ain't never heard something like this. Religious people, they're going to hear, they're going to freak. This is what they're going to ask. Ronnie, are you giving me permission to use my humanness as an excuse for sin? Is that what you're saying here? Because if what you're saying is true and God loves me just as I am, if God loves me in spite of my flaws, if God loves me in spite of my sins, what's my motivation to do right? Love. It's really the only acceptable motivation for doing right. Well, I put it this way. It's the most important motivation for doing right. If we truly love God... You know what we want more than anything? 
we want to please God. And there's only one way to please God. And that's to obey God. We don't obey God to get him to love us. We obey God because he already loves us. And now we love him too. We obey God not to earn love, but to express love. God loves you. Receive it. Love him back. Reciprocate it. Fourth thing, be thankful for it. We've set aside a whole week next week for the purpose of giving thanks. Hopefully next week, we're all going to take some time to kind of do an inventory of everything God has done for us so that we can thank, thank him. Of, of everything God has given us so that we can thank him. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about doing an inventory of all of God's character and what it is about him that makes you thankful? His power, his wisdom, his grace, his mercy. Let me throw one in there this week. What about his love? Maybe this week we push that one to the top of the list. And we often thank him for loving us with an unfailing love. Man, what if you could do something to cause God to stop loving you? Wouldn't we be in big trouble? Here's the truth. God knows you're only human. And he's still crazy about you. Thank him for that. Let's pray together. We got some time. I think it'd be the perfect opportunity for you to let this soak in. everything about you everything about your past he knows everything about this past week everything about you in the days to come still loves you. With an immeasurable 
unlimited. All out love. He's crazy about you. Thank you, God, for loving us with a love that's really hard to comprehend. Help us find value in how you love us. Help us find peace in how you love us. Help us find joy in how you love us. Help us be grateful. name this is our prayer together amen you're dismissed